Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for Episode 9. Thank you for listening. However and wherever you listen to this podcast, please leave a rating and review as that helps raise our ranking. Today's guest is magician Billy Kidd. Billy runs a weekly parlor magic show in Bath, England at the Crowdkeeper's Magic Theater. She classically trained as an actor and upon graduation realized if she became a magician, she could just be herself. So she did. Since that switch from acting to magic, she has hosted two seasons of Discovery Channel's Breaking Magic and was a wizard on Wizard Wars with Penn and Teller. Billy has been on CW's Masters of Illusions and ITV's Next Great Magician. Billy has performed on Disney Cruise Lines and at Hollywood's Magic Castle. Her magic acts have taken her across Canada, Europe, the Middle East, Asia, and Australia. During the worldwide lockdown, she has created Happy Talk TV that streams only good news stories on YouTube. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Billy Kidd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, And I'm just going to say that we're recording this on June the 5th, 2020. So we're in the middle of the COVID-19 lockdown shutdown. Oh, very much so. And I'm in New York, but you're five hours ahead in... Bath, England. Yes. First, well, I've never met you, but I first saw you um, because of the lockdown. You're doing this thing called Happy Talk TV on YouTube, which is just every week you and a couple other magicians, you just put out happy news. Yeah, we try to. It's very hard to find happy news nowadays, but we are doing our best. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every Monday we've been releasing an episode. One of my favorite bits was when you guys like taught us how to make a gin and tonic and you like take this like double pint glass or something and you like fill it completely to the top with gin and then you like talk about how important the tonic water is to it and you put like a tiny little splash of tonic water. (laughs) We're being very very honest and real at Happy Talk TV. And then my other favorite part was you start in this grass field and you're like I come out here to meditate and to relax and to think about my future and my life and then like the camera slowly backs out and you realize you're in the middle of a cemetery (laughs) yeah which is all true it's where I've been hanging out during COVID-19 okay um could you give us a two-minute recap of your entire life and how you got to where you are in your career right now yeah so uh my name's Billy Kidd I'm a magician but I have not always been a magician I used to work as an actor since I was about 11 years old and uh when I thought I had it all going for me, I happened to see a street magician, and that was it. I was like, oh no, I'm in the wrong career. Went through a depression and turned into a magician shortly after. And that's where I'm at now. Well, an out-of-work magician because of corona. But there you go. Yeah, but it won't last forever. We'll be back at it. No, no, no. I'm very optimistic by getting out of this. Okay, I want, I want to talk about that because I just thought you were a magician. And then I went to your website. You First of all, you were an actor. And then you went through actor training for three years. As soon as you graduated, you were like, I don't want to be an actor. <laughs> it's more, I wouldn't say I don't want to be. It was more like I kind of described it as I was kidnapped by this thing called magic. I know I'd never seen magic in my entire life. And, and I was pretty obsessive as a child. Like I went through some, I went through my own rigorous training, anything I could do to make me become a better actor as, as a child. And I wanted to be trained by the best schools in the world. And somehow I got into all of them. And eventually, you know, I had to pick, pick one. 
And literally a couple months after I graduated, yeah, I ended up working at a street festival and saw this magician. And I'd never seen magic in my life. And it cha- it literally changed everything for me. And I got super obsessed. And uh, I, I, I tell people this kind of laughing. People laugh at this story. In the moment, it was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. But I just remember being in, I was house sitting for a friend and I turned off all the lights and I closed down all the curtains. And all I remember was the Olympics were on TV and I just sat there and I cried on the couch for hours going, oh my gosh, I have to become a magician. I'm in the wrong career. Just like crying, going, oh, what have I done? And that was it. That was the moment. That's so funny. I know, it's funny, but in the moment, it was not. I was really sad. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I always think like, because you're now 10 years or so past that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So looking back, I feel like it's easy to say, but living through it and like going through that transformation has to be terrifying. It it was. It was not what I had planned. You know, I was I had it my whole as a child, I had a career kind of planned in the sense I knew I wanted to be an actor. That's all I wanted to do. And that was my focus. And that was my drive. And that's all I've ever done. And then, boom, I just saw magic. It was like, oh, no. Well, how did I not know this about myself? And I guess it's just exposure, you know, if I, I think if I saw a magician as a child, I probably would have become a magician right away. Just knowing my personality and who I am and even the roles I was typecast in, you know, I've definitely played Puck and Atollicus and, and all that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. So I think it was meant to be, just I didn't realize it. You trained in Canada for acting? Uh, yes. I mean, I, 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 was, I was kind of training a little bit all over. I trained for speech and drama with Trinity, Co- Trinity College of London. Uh, and through professors who would who would fly to Canada, I guess you could say. But then eventually, yes, I got my degree in Canada. And then you're in Bath now. Have you always been in Bath? Is that where you grew up? No, no. I mostly, as a child, I mostly grew up in Canada. Uh, I ended up in Bath when I wanted to, I basically needed to change, find a city where nobody knew me, where street performers were accepted. And, uh, and I ended up in Bath literally just by a kind of accident. I visited a friend over here and I looked at the street and was like, they allow buskers? Great. I, don't, I didn't see any magicians. I'm like, perfect. Nobody knows me. This is amazing. I'll just come here and do street magic. And that was it. And I've been here ever since. Amazing. Oh, there's so much to unpack here because cause I'm not familiar with like Canada art scene. I mean, I know there's like Toronto <laughs> for theater. Yeah, that's pretty, mu- <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's very little. <laughs> but I do know that like anytime uh, theater people go over to anywhere in Europe, pretty much, and they're like, oh, people actually like get paid to do art or like it's like you're not all paupers. Like you're not either like really rich because you got famous or you're poor. There's this middle class of artists. Yeah. So I always think like, why don't we all just go to Europe and, <laughs> and do our art? Yeah, it's interesting because um, a, a quick little example, especially during these COVID times, and I feel so bad for all of my artist actor friends back in Canada or North America, is there's been so much, I mean, there always could be more, but there's been so much financial support for artists over here during these times, which when I talk to my friends in Canada, it just doesn't exist. And it's shocking, like like a little example, like the Actors Union in, in Canada and America, like Equity and Actra and, and all that. Well, in the UK, they cover, those unions cover variety artists like magicians, jugglers, street performers, where in, in Canada, that doesn't exist at all. They are union-less, you could say. So over here, we're lucky that we have unions that will cover variety artists, and therefore we have financial support because of that. We're just, yeah, so that really helps a lot. That's amazing. Okay, so I don't know. What is the union called? Like, you're in it? Equity over here. Yeah, Equity UK covers all artists. So it's Actors Equity just covers everybody. everybody. I'm, I'm, yeah, a member as a magician. 
funny enough, <laughs> which I'm a member of Equity in Canada as an actor, but that is only as an actor. They would not even touch me knowing I'm a magician. So yeah, it's, it's, that it has a big benefit over here. I assume when you perform like in another country that's not England, then you, you're just non-union working? Uh, I am non-union. However, equity still covers me up to a certain point when I'm, I'm in like the Middle East or Europe or wherever. Interesting. Yeah, everybody should move to uh, England. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we went and visited our friends in Vienna last year. Our friend Chong, he took us, he used to play guitar or whatever. So he took us to this jazz club and we go there and it's like these New York jazz players. And so he knows them and we are like talking to him afterwards. And he's like, why'd you come to Vienna to perform? And the guys were like, well, performing in New York City, we like can barely scrape a living. So if we come here, people actually like want to see us and actually cut like are able to pay money and like we can actually sell out crowds here versus New York City, which is our home. <laughs> yeah, there, like culturally, definitely there, there is a difference. And, you know, in, even as a magician, I hear lots of people going in America where they go, there's no, there's no venues for us. And I, I mean, I don't really know if that's true or not in America, but I mean, compared to London, you know, we've got lots of venues where variety artists burlesque people. Um, you can literally go and do a 10 minute spot at uh, Café de Paris, which is in uh, in Leicester Square, and then g- go across the street to another venue and do your same act somewhere else, and you can you can make a living doing that. I know acts that that do do that. Um, I guess yeah, the variety world is just very different in Europe compared to to North America. I mean, it's not non-existent here, but it's just like it, it's all like really low paying. Yeah. So I don't know whose fault that is, but Yeah, you have to be like not booked for the weekend and be like, well, since I have nothing better to do, I guess I'll go do this like variety hour here or variety hour there. I mean, I'm not a performer, so I don't really know the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and it it is different country to country. I I have noticed that definitely. And you know, a little example would be if you're comparing Canada to America, Canada has this culture in the summer of of street festivals where where street performers from all over the world will congregate and do shows for the public for just the hat hat money. And you'd think it'd be the same in America, but there's very few street performer festivals in America, if any. So that's very different culturally. But then compared to Europe, there's t- there's even more so. But in Europe, the the audience or the type of performer then is very different compared to Canada. In Europe, you'll see more like marionette um, acts and and stuff that isn't all about hype and being loud. And that's very different than when you go to the Canadian festivals where it's just that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, it's very different. So when I take my shows to different countries, I play it differently depending on where I am. Okay. And then questions because you trained as an actor. I think like if I like the magician, I'm going to like the show. Has acting helped you in your magic act? Um, I think it definitely helps, for sure. And I'm learning that more. the more I'm in magic, the more I'm using my tools as an actor. I think for me, being an actor, part of the training being an actor, whether you, whether you ever play another character or not, but the training that an actor does, um, you just become very self-aware of who you are as a person and your relationship to other people because you study characters and, and other people and how you react to them you know, there's so much training as an act. The training that an actor goes through and the hours that you put in is the same that a magician would go holding a deck of cards. But a magician only knows that deck of cards. They don't know anything about the rest of themselves, which is so important. And I definitely I've been using that to my advantage. In fact, one of my biggest lessons in magic, not ever being in magic, I remember watching uh, 
you know, professional magicians on stage who've been doing magic their entire lives. And I'm being so excited. I get to see this, you know, I get to have a magical experience going, cool, how does this work and all this? But it felt like watching really amateur actors who just happen to do magic. <laughs> and I don't mean that in an offensive way, but it's like you can tell when you're watching, you know, like a, a high school or junior high play compared to, you know, someone on Broadway or the West End. It's that quality is different. And that's just because of the experience and the training, etc. But magicians, not all of them, but the majority of them, it feels like watching that high school play, but they just have amazing skills with their hands. So there is a disconnect. And I knew that right away with the first time I got into magic. I was like, whoa, I feel like I'm taking 10 steps forward as a magician, but 10, 10, 10 steps back as a performer. So I've distanced myself from the magic community in that way because I'm like, I need to work on the slights. I need to work on, on the technical stuff. I've done all the other work. I just need to combine them. So it has given me an advantage. Uh, and, and, and a good example would be one of the first auditions I ever did as a magician, which is really strange because as an actor, you're always going to audition pretending to be somebody else. And this is the first time I'm just being me, which I've never been before. So I was like, whoa, I get to just be me on stage? This is amazing. I've never had that experience in, in a way. Uh, but going into an audition as a magician, I remember being in a room looking at all these magicians going, they have no idea what they're doing just by the way they were dressed for whatever role this was, you know. So definitely it has given me an advantage. So I'm grateful for that. I've no I've got no regrets of my past. I just wish <laughs> I got into magic earlier. <laughs> Okay, so wait, so auditions. So for some reason, I just thought magicians never had to audition. I just thought, like, this is my act, and if you want it, you get it, and if not. So you audition for things? Anything television-wise, um, a lot of times, yeah, there's been an audition involved. That makes total sense. I just never thought about it. <laughs> it's not It's not common, but I guess in this days and age, the more magic becomes a little bit more popular, especially in the film and TV industry, yeah, they would have auditions for certain things. Okay, so you, you've you've been on the Masters of Illusions CW show? Yes. So I side note, I have done the lighting design for Masters of Illusion Live, oh. like part of their North American Canada tours. Yes, they asked me to be in the... Ca <laughs> Not how we met. No, but that's interesting, yeah, because they asked me to be in, I think, one of the, one of the tours. I just, it just doesn't work out ever with my, with my schedule. And it hasn't worked out for like the last five years for me either. <laughs> okay, yeah. That was like my first like working on magic shows. I remember thinking, not to insult any of the magicians, they're all amazing, but some of them, they have these big props and they like go out and they do these magic tricks with their props. And I watch them and the acting is so painful that I just wish like, if this person were a better actor, like this show would be amazing. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know why there's such a big gap in performance in that in that way you know because i sometimes look at like it's kind of like imagine patrick stewart who's an incredible actor and imagine giving him the skills um of uh, david copperfield or one of the top magicians in the world like that combination you'd be like whoa you just know that how, how powerful that would be i think magic for me when i got into it and why reason why i got into it was it was the first thing like that was concrete and objective that i could go i can do this or i can't because of the technical skill of it. Whereas an actor, you just kind of go, oh, that feels good. I think, I think that was good, right? And so that was a big difference for me going, oh, wow, I can actually do something and I know I did it or I know I did it right. It was just very different than what I was used to. But yeah, I, I, I get you're, you are right. And I think the public, the public feel that and they don't know why when they watch a magician, 
like you said, you go, you're not a magician, but you, you're like, why, oh, why is this, the, the magic part is great, the illusion is good, but the presentation just feels so, like, cheesy, and I think that's why magicians have a stereotype, but they got themselves to blame. <laughs> yeah. They really do. But they have to have so much confidence, because to go out there and perform something that's, in theory, magic, I'm just going to take a guess. I don't know how any of the illusions are done, but I suspect they're not actually magic. <laughs> no. You caught us, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> to have that self-confidence, though, is so key. Like, you can't be a magician that doesn't have any self-confidence. It just, it won't work. No, and it is, you know, the thing with magic, it is one of the, I think, the scariest thing I've ever done to this day, doing a new routine. You're trying to be completely natural, yet you're doing things that are completely unnatural, and the audience knows that. They, the audience knows we're lying to them. Whereas when you're watching a piece of theater or a play or a movie, we accept that none of this is real. And we just go for the ride. So, yeah, it's a total different beast. Yeah. So confidence is key for sure. A lot of magicians, like certain magicians are good at sleight of hand. Others have big props that they do. Um, others do like feats of strength sort of things that I don't really consider magic, but okay. Yeah, like a stunt or escapes. Yeah, it's all, it's all spectacle. Um, how much material do you have? Because you have a, like a variety of things you can do. Like if somebody said, hey, we want you to do a stage show that's two hours long, could you, do you have enough material that would last for two hours? Uh, surprisingly, I do. I, like, I, don't really, I don't really look at it so much in that sense, but when I've done my shows, I go, oh, wow, I've got a lot of material. And, you know, some stuff fits better in certain situations than others. But, yeah, I would say yes. Um, do you know Darren Brown? Or not know him, but, like, know his uh, stuff? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've met him a couple times. I'm not, like, getting mates with him. But, uh, but yeah, we are aware of each other. We, we used to do work for the same production company way back when. Ah, I see, I see. He'll, he'll do, like, an hour-and-a-half-long show. And I think part of his appeal, you like him as a person or as an actor. Like, I wouldn't call him an actor, though maybe he is. His personality and, the like, his mannerisms, the way he acts, like, to me, that's a big draw because he's just acting so... I, I hesitate to call it natural, because he's clearly like manipulating the whole hour and a half. It feels like you just trust him. Anyway, so like his magic is amazing, his mentalism is amazing, whatever. But I think the, the appeal of watching him for an hour and a half or two hours is that like his acting skills or like he's able to like mesmerize you. You got that. I think one of the keywords you said there was tr you trust him. You know, you trust him on stage, even though you know he's deceiving you badly. Right. And I think that's the beautiful thing about being a magician is that weird complex we have with that relationship between us and an audience. But Darren Brown has that bang on. And I think that's why he's so unique, because like, you know, like we've established, there's not a lot of magicians who you who you have that connection to, you know, and uh, and like he is very natural, which is why we trust him. We don't feel like he's putting on a face or he's. He's. I think the problem with magicians is why they look like bad actors. It's because they're showing us that they're acting. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm going to show you. I'm going to pick up this cup and drink from it, and we go, no, that's not natural. Why can't you just pick it up and drink from it? And that's the difference, right? And I think with Darren Brown, yeah, we have that trust. He's very likable, and and that's the key thing. You have to be likable on stage for us to trust you and then want to play with you. Right. Yeah. Which I feel I feel bad about because I'm always like, if I like them, I'll like the magic. And then if, if like, I don't like the magic, it's like, uh-oh, that means I didn't like them. Uh-oh. <laughs> I wouldn't feel bad. That's a magician's fault. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, well, we know you a little bit, but I'm going to ask you some questions about your creative personality. So what live event do you like to experience as an audience member? My favorite live event, I would say, is the cheese roll in Gloucester, <laughs> which happens every May. 
Have you been to it? Uh, uh, yes, all the time. I mean, not this year, but it is one of the best human experiences ever. I mean, of course, I love going to like you know live theater, etc. But when I th- when I think really hard about that, the cheese roll in Gloucester, it makes me cry every year when I'm there <laughs> because people we come together in the thousands to watch cheese roll down a hill and people literally breaking their their limbs chasing after this cheese. And we're all just like, go get the cheese. And people are shouting, go, you can do it. And we're just so support. And it's just such a happy event. And it's so weird that we love this cheese rolling thing so much. It literally makes me tear up. <laughs> I, yeah, it's one of my favorite live events to attend. So you, so you go and watch. You don't go and run down the hill. I would love to run down the hill if I didn't like my job. Yeah, fair. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just like, I guarantee I would break five bones doing that. Probably. It's really dangerous, that hill. <laughs> okay. Well, the next question, which I feel like the cheese roll is the answer to this next question, but what is a piece of art that you like? <laughs> oh. Um, all right. Well, I will have to say cheese roll again. Now, I think one of my favorite artists who I kind of stumbled across is a guy named Leandro, if I want to say his name right, Ehrlich? Leandro Ehrlich? E-R-L-I-C-H. He combines, in a way, like, illusion and art together. And uh, I was introduced to him through one of his pieces called Dalston House, which was, he put a giant, this massive mirror, like, building-sized mirror at a certain angle, and on the ground was the outside of a house. And so the illusion was you would literally lie down on the ground and you'd look up at this mirror... And it looks like you were hanging outside of windows and climbing up a building. That's cool. And I saw this on the news and I was like, I got to go. The next day I went straight to London, went to Dalston House. You got five minutes max to play on this thing. And, oh, it was beautiful because I, when you're in the queue watching these, these adults, these grown men and women and their kids, literally, and they know they only have five minutes to play and take their photos in, in this amazing illusion... It was amazing, mostly to see, yeah, I guess adults just go crazy and play for five minutes on this weird illusion house. And, and that just normally doesn't happen. I thought what he created, that was like one of the best things I've ever seen, was, was actually being in the queue watching people just let loose and go crazy. And he has a lot of other, if you look him up, um, he's got a lot, of, a lot of other kind of really cool art installation pieces that he does um, kind of all over the world. But that for me was, was one of them for sure. So I became a fan of his instantly. That's amazing. I'm going to look him up and I'm, I'll put a link in our show notes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because that's really cool. I'm, I want to go see something. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's got great stuff. He's got another thing where you're on, it looks like you're inside of a swimming pool, but you're standing inside of a swimming pool and looking up and you can see everyone else looking down at you. It's really strange stuff. But yeah, look him up. Leandro Ehrlich. All right. Amazing. Awesome. Um, do you have a go-to book or resource about magic? Oh, there's a, thousands of books. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't. I could start naming them, but then I think of another one, and then we'd be here forever. Will you write your own one day? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really a teacher of magic. I would say I don't know. <laughs> Where do you draw inspiration from? Like when you need to do a new illusion or something? I. I mean, I think I draw inspiration from almost any anyone and anything. Uh, Movies, you know, little things I'm inspired in movies have creeped into some routines of mine. Music definitely has become more of an inspiration for me over time with my magic. Any live experience is definitely an influence for sure. Amazing. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh my gosh. Everything from like Gustav Mahler to Snoop Dogg. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, like, yeah, everything really. Uh, I'm a fan. I I mean, I grow up. I grew up in in a musical family and have lots of musical training. So yeah, Rachmaninoff. I'm a huge fan of Rachmaninoff. I'm also like obsessed with Chris Cornell and The Doors. Amazing. Missy Elliott, The Streets. Yeah, everything. Awesome. Okay. Uh, what are some of your hobbies? It's weird because my hobbies mostly relate to what I do. You know, I even even as a magician. Yeah, like I still do a lot of training and dance. Um, I still try to do music as, as much as I can. I'm really into sports as well. I've, I've always really liked playing football slash soccer um, or hockey. Less so, you know, the more you go in the arts, you have less friends who do that. So it's a little bit hard to do that on your own, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, anything active, anything, anything like that, yeah, I guess they're all hobbies. But they all relate to what I do. So Amazing. So that was your creative personality. Now we're going to figure out your financial personality. We might have done some of this, but could you describe your demographics for us? I am, it's hard to tell, but I am half Polish, half Filipino. <laughs> just, uh, I'll put that out there. Just get, let's just get that over with. From Canada. Born in Canada. Yeah. So my parents, <laughs> yeah. So my family's from Poland. I'm actually part of the, I've learned this recently from one of my sisters that we are part of the Polish royal family called the Sapihas from way back in history. Ooh, cool. <laughs> Not that anyone really cares. Uh, yeah, so I've got a very mixed, we got a very mixed background. I'm 37 years old. Oh gosh, it's creeping up. <laughs> I, I have to think about that because I don't celebrate my birthday. So sometimes I actually forget how old I am. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Okay. Um, are you like a stereotypical artist where you're bad with money or are you a money wizard? I, I don't know if I'm any of those, to be honest. When I, when I was a kid as an actor, I knew I was always going to be poor. I was like, great, I'm going to be an actor. Great. I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. <laughs> so as a child, I think I was really good at saving I, cause, because I knew that was my, my future. Yeah. Because of this, I remember getting a paper round when I was like maybe 11 or 12 and saved $1,000 in my sock drawer. because so I was like, this is it. This is how I'm going to move out when I'm older. I ended up spending that money on, I don't know what. But um, so in, part of me is like, yeah, I, I, I'm aware of my situation. So I know how to save. I'm not going to just spend stuff frivolously if I don't have the money. But then again, I'm not a millionaire right now, am I? So what does that say? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in general, are you a saver or a spender? I'm good at saving, but then I, at the same time, I'll be like, you know what? I've saved enough. Today I'm going to just spend it all. <laughs> so then I'll just spend it on, on stuff. But, I, but again, I spend on things that, that I need. I don't spend on stuff that I don't need. So, so I'm kind of both. I'm kind of both. Yeah. Are you risk averse or a risk taker? Definitely a risk taker. Yeah. I think if anyone in the arts are like, oh, we're risk takers. Why did we sacrifice so much to do what we do? So that's definitely a risk. Yeah. And especially magicians, because even going out on stage, I would never imagine trying to fool people like that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm going to lie to you and you know I'm going to lie to you. Give me your money. <laughs> but you could fail spectacularly like every single time. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, it's happened. Yeah. Failure as a magician is egg on faced. It's you don't have a cast to support you and help you find what. Oh, you lost your line. No problem. We'll feed it to you. Now, as a magician, you're usually a, a lone solo act. Everything can go wrong and does. So, yeah, risk taker for sure. Amazing. Um, growing up, did you have good financial examples? No, no, <laughs> not at all. It's, it's, I don't know. You, people say you learn from your parents. I, I, I don't think I learned from my parents. I just learned. Uh, yeah, I guess I learned what not to do. I looked at the bigger picture. That's funny or not funny. <laughs> um, at the start of your career, what did your finances look like? I was, I was in a, like a 
okay place. There was a moment where everything went really bad because <laughs> at the start of my bachelor career, I was in my mid twenties already, and so starting really a new career, and I've made myself. I put myself in a position where I was only going to make money from magic and nothing else. Whereas I think a lot of people who transition from one job to another, they probably have a job that's already very, you know, good and stable and supportive. But I went from an actor to magician. So I had financial stability when I started magic, but then that disappeared very quickly because as when you start as a magician, nobody knows me as a magician. I'm in my mid twenties, so I'm not going to get gigs or bookings. So my start was going out onto the street and street performing literally for money in my hat. But then when winter comes and the tourists kind of disappear, that money starts to go down very quickly. And yeah, there was, there was definitely a time where I was looking at my bank account going, oh gosh, it's getting close to zero. What are we going to do? Uh, to the point where I was like, oh, might I, I might have to go back to acting. <laughs> that sounds so wrong and backwards. But there was a point where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to become an actor again. Uh, that's just going to have to. And you know, I did. I ended up at one point, just as just to see what would happen is I remember the BBC was doing auditions for some program and I did reach out and I said I had no headshot, I had no CV because I, I left it all somewhere. I made a lie and say I left it all somewhere because I wasn't sure if I was going to go through with it in the audition. So that was kind of like my, my backup plan was going back to acting. Um, but I didn't. Something came through. So I was at an okay place and then it went and then it dipped down really low because just because of circumstance, really. Yeah, yeah. I've never met anybody that ever said, uh oh, I might have to fall back on acting like, like as my financial plan. I, I feel bad saying it because it sounds like not right, but it was the truth. Yeah. I'm so poor. I need to be an actor. <laughs> yeah. I, I do, yeah, it's really backwards. That's hilarious. Okay, well, uh, have there been any events in your life that shaped your view of money? You know, the, the financial crisis of 2008, that's kind of the year where I was like, I'm going to become a magician, so I had really good timing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, no, not really. I think, I think again, you know, you know, when I was a young, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. Hey, I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. Great, how do we deal with this? And the same when I became a magician, because it was like, you know, in my mid-20s, changing careers, not having any background as a magician, uh, not knowing how that business worked. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very good at this. I don't know why I keep choosing these weird random careers that are like, good luck. <laughs> when, you, when that time you were like, I need to fall back on the, the acting, like when, when you became magician, was that in Canada or, or like, when did you move to Bath, I guess? Uh, 2008. So you were like, I'm going to become a magician. I'm moving to Bath. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what, that's exactly I love it. your, I love your plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's so wild to me. Is it? I don't know. It's quite, it made a lot of sense in my head at the time. When you were younger, did you dream of moving to Bath? No. No. Why Bath? <laughs> um, because Bath is very busker friendly. There's a lot of... Oh, right, right. Yeah, that was literally the reason why. That's so funny. Yeah. Because, like, I'm, fr I'm from the state of Missouri, the middle of the USA. I knew for 10 years that I was going to move to New York. I was like, okay, go to school, do this, and then I'll move to New York. And then I did. So I just can't imagine, like, graduating and then be like, I think I'll move to, you know... Australia. <laughs> yeah, no, well, it, I need, I did for sure. It was like, I need to move to a city where nobody knew me, um, especially as an actor, because I didn't want to be influenced by the acting world. I didn't want to fall back to acting if I was going to make magic my new career. I didn't want to be comfortable, I guess, in that sense. So I, like, I knew I had to go somewhere where nobody knew me and nobody knew my past. London would have been my other choice, but I knew more people in London. And then 
London's just more expensive, although Bath is very expensive, but because I knew they were very open to street performers here, and I knew that's how I needed to start as a magician, it just it just ticked all the boxes. Amazing. Have you had any health challenges throughout your life? No, not yet. So I've been very lucky. I've been very, very lucky health-wise. Well, unless Corona knocks on my door. <laughs> um, do you think about money on a daily basis, or do you worry about it? I think worry is always in the back of our mind when you're in the arts. I don't think about it on a daily basis. In fact... The more I'm in this and the more, the older I get, the less I care about it, to be honest. I like it. Yeah. It's a very European mindset to me. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I like the struggle. <laughs> um, when you have excess money, where do you put it? It goes pretty much right back into, into my show, I want to say. My money gets reinvested into whatever it is I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Throughout your life, have you used a budget? No. I wish I could say yes to that question, but no, there's no budget. <laughs> Either have it or I don't. What is a fantastic financial decision that you've made? A fantastic financial decision? I don't know if I've made a, a, a fantastic financial decision. Not yet. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I had. I remember a math teacher saying when I was like 12 or 13, going, put away money aside every month, every week. By the time you're 30, you'll be a millionaire. And I wish I listened to him because there is truth to that in a sense. Uh, I think... I'm trying to become more smarter with it. I think whenever I come into a position or a gig where it pays really well, I try to put some of that aside for a rainy day. And I wish I'd done that earlier. I mean, everyone says this to you when you're younger and you just don't listen. But I would say try and listen. And there has been moments in my life where I'm like, okay, great. This is a really well-paid gig. I have this for this year, whatever that is. Let's take advantage of that situation. Let's put some of that aside for whatever, whether it goes back into my show or for a rainy day for savings or for when there's a pandemic, let's put that aside. So I wouldn't say it's the best decision I've made, but I am more aware of that. And when I look at older peers of mine and financial situations that they're in because of decisions they didn't make when they were younger, I do take that into account for sure. When I look at anyone, any of my friends in, in, in my demographic um, who, who are working in the arts, whether they're actors, magicians or whatnot, I could count on one hand how many of them actually own a home, and that's still under exceptional circumstance. They've either like married into money or or through other circumstances, but not just because, you know, just being who they are. And and that's a, a sad and kind of scary thing for sure. Um, and we can't, you just, you can't compete with that really. So I think that's why I kind of go next twenty four hours. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And like, I'm 32. The people I've talked to that are more our age, they're actually, I think, smarter with money or know more about money than like the older people. But the older people are like better off. And it's like, sometimes I just think like my parents think like younger people are dumb with money. And it's like, no, 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 we're actually pretty savvy because we have we have to be because we have to be. Yeah. Because unfortunately, just our, this is our time. Right. And and even more so nowadays, right? Like how this is going to affect, how this pandemic that we're in right now is going to affect younger people and younger generations. It's just, yeah, I feel for everybody really. But at the same time, learning from my peers, um, going, okay, so they've come from a different time. They've had more advantages and, and yet disadvantages. Kind of looking at the, the bigger picture will kind of help or give you hints. Just think somewhere, because you started in 2008 during that financial crisis, there's another Billy kid that right now is just gotten out of acting school and they're like, I'm going to become a magician. I know. <laughs> and they're starting during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just read an, an article on BBC about a lot of acting graduates as well who 
it was really inspiring. There's this young, this one guy, this young guy they interviewed, who's like, no matter what, I don't care. I'm still, go- I'm still going to pursue acting as a career because we can't be in this forever and we won't be. And I think that's a good way to look at it um, and be optimistic about that too. Because I think no matter what, like we sacrifice so much as we are, pandemic or no pandemic, we we can't help but do what we what we do. Anyone who's just graduated right now, and you know, we're all like. Oh great! We're in this career that's going to be the last to recover. What, how do we do this? And honestly, as grim as it, it might seem, personally myself, what I'm trying to do right now is is treat it like a, like a retreat and go. You know what? All right, I'm getting benefits from the government. They're paying for me to just learn, and I'm going to take this time to do all the stuff that I don't have time to. If I was working on a show or traveling, doing my gigs, this and that. So. At the moment, that's that's I would say the best thing is just to keep learning and as much as you can right now because you have the time, and then when this is over, you'll be like I imagine we'll be like in the movie Three Hundred and just come out and be like oh 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 and just go <laughs> and be ready for it. We just don't know when that is, but yeah, just prep yourself for it. So we should check in 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 like January and see what new illusion you have <laughs> yes <laughs> it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be amazing it's just waiting for an audience so now what is a terrible financial decision that you've made probably the career that i'm in <laughs> <laughs> i mean i always say like if i was a smarter i would do something that would you know be just more financially rewarding at the end of the day but that's the battle that we that we have with these careers that we choose or choose us because, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could le- easily drop everything I'm doing and go do something that's going to have more stability and security. But and I think that's where a lot of artists, we just, we can't, we can't help but do what we're passionate about because it, it overtakes us, you know? Like I said, going back to the moment I knew I was going to be a magician, I was in tears going, no, why? Why do I have to become a magician? Oh, shit. <laughs> You know, it's, yeah. it almost in a way doesn't feel like my choice. and But I know I wouldn't be happy if I wasn't doing it. So that, those are the sacrifices. And with that comes sacrifice of money as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're in Bath, here in the USA, we have W-2 income versus 1099 income. This So this may not apply, but like sometimes we get checks and the taxes are taken out. Right. But actors and other stuff, sometimes they get checks that, that the taxes aren't taken out. And then at the end of the year, they have to pay them. How does your income work like that? So with what, as a magician with what I do, it's more like contract to contract. So we don't get taxed on it. it more, more so at the end of the year when I do my taxes, how, whatever my gross income, that uh, net income, that's where it gets all taken out at the end of the year. Great. Um, okay, and then here we're supposed to pay quarterly. That way at tax time, it's not like as big of a chunk. Do you have that in Bath? Um, I, I think it's somewhat similar. So if you, if you owe over a certain amount... Uh, you you pay one chunk in January and then the next chunk is in July, I believe. Yeah, so, and that's it. Or or you don't pay anything. So, yeah, it kind of depends on the amount. Okay. Do you file your own taxes? I have an accountant because there's no way I would want to do that on my own. As much as I don't like any of my accountants because you never know. You're going, oh, man, you just don't trust them. But I trust them to to save me as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I mean, you ought to find a good accountant. Ones that go, between these four walls, what did you really make? And then, you know, you're like, all right, you're on my side. Uh, 
<laughs> okay, okay. But no, I don't trust myself. I have an accountant because they just know the rules better and I don't want to be bothered with, with all that because that's not my job. Yep, exactly. So, I, yeah. I think you're the 16th or 18th person I've talked to and nobody has done their own taxes. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow, okay. Okay, what is your retirement plan, like financially? I, I don't have really a retirement plan financially because I don't plan to retire. And that's not because I'm like, oh, I love money. I just want to keep making money. It's because I just don't ever want to stop what I'm doing, whether I'm getting paid for it or not. For me, the worst thing would be to retire. I don't want to be in a position where I have enough money to not do what I'm doing because that's not the job I'm in. You know, I guess I love my job too much. I want to keep doing it. So there's no real plan like that. Financially, I mean, uh, yes, I've been trying to be better and put money away for when, like, for God forbid, if something were to happen and I can't do my job, I need to be prepared in in that regard. I've been also kind of lucky enough that when I used to be an actor, they would take money out of our checks for a pension. Like, it was just automatic. Part of our unions would do that. So I think I have money somewhere um, that's been actually just stashed away for for that. (laughs) And then the the government over here, we do automatically pay kind of into a pension anyhow. So at a certain age, it'll be like, here's your pension money. But but none of it's really my plan. (laughs) Got it. Okay. You're in the union there. Do, Do those contracts set aside money in that same pension for actors? Not not unless you want to, again, because I'm working as a magician over here. It's a bit different because we set our own prices depending on what gigs we're doing. So it's kind of a different kind of contract when we go out for work. Okay. And then, sorry, so are you a citizen of England or are you a Canadian citizen? I'm both. Oh, you're both. Okay. So, so like when you were acting in Canada, like is that a separate pension from whatever you have over in England? It, it would be technically. Yeah, I haven't really figured out legally what the hell that does, but... Okay, well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, that's for the future. That's my project for the future. Yeah, you're like, I'll figure that out in like 20, 30 yeah. years, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, and outside of retirement, do you invest? I think you already said no. You reinvested in your no. self. It kind of goes back into myself, yeah. Yeah. Which of your jobs has been the most financially lucrative? I would say, you know, any if I'm doing any kind of advert on television, even compared to a series, those ones, I'm working less, more for it overall, I guess, in the sense. Yeah, advertisement. I've never filmed an advertisement, um, but it's like a 30-second clip or something, yeah? I, that or I just did one last year in Vietnam, which is going to be supposedly a three-minute advert, so it's for different, I guess, platforms and stuff. But, uh, but uh, yeah, adverts, unlike some series now in, in television, I kind of go in this way where they just do, like, buyouts. You know, instead of going, oh, residuals, a lot of things are a little more buyouts now. But advertising, advertising in general always has more money because they are an advert. Uh, and so a lot of them will air internationally as opposed to nationally. So depending on the product or the company, I would say adverts overall. In the, and, and usually I'll be just filming for a day or two. So overall, I would say, yeah, it's time-wise and money-wise, I would say adverts pay, the, pay more. All right, note taken. Everybody try to just do advertisements. <laughs> okay, uh, do your professional network and your personal support system overlap? What role have they played in your life? I don't, yeah, I think they're two, they're, they're kind of one and the same, really. They're the same. I, they're not different. They're just not different. Yeah, it's weird to find people who are not in the industry who who are my friends, I guess, nowadays. Yeah. Um, oh, and also, like, how do you get work? So you mentioned auditions, but I just assume that people just 
probably come to you and they're like, oh yeah, so-and-so told me that you're good at whatever. There's a lot of different, I mean, as a magician, I think it's different depending on what you can offer. You have different avenues and venues of where you can get work. So a lot of entertainment agencies, just your basic ones will might contact you for some random gigs, like wedding gigs, corporate gigs, that kind of do. But then, you know, because I also have a background in street performing, that's a whole other community and network that, that I can get work from. So with like festivals and street festivals, I have a show designed specifically just for the outdoor market. And that can be a lot of word of mouth, but also sending in applications or going, hey, can I come work your festival next year? So there's that. Uh, and then, you know, like my theater show, again, I would say most of my work nowadays comes from word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much of your success has been hard work versus luck? I would say most of it is hard work. I would say maybe 90% hard work, 10% luck, maybe. Most of it's hard work. I mean, I like to think sometimes like, oh, I just got lucky on that. But that is like, oh, because I was in the right place at the right time kind of thing. Or I happened to hear about this audition, which led to this, 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 and that. You could look at, let's say, if I'm looking at an audition, that a lot of that can be luck. But without my hard work, it wouldn't make my luck more. So does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Um, heading to the wrap up, what is your financial goal for this year? To survive. My financial goal is to just survive. If I'm still here in this room (laughs) at the end of the year, I'll be like, yes, I made it. I made it. We did it another year. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Worst time to like start this podcast and ask that question. Well, my answer would be the same, whether it wasn't during a pandemic, it would be my financial goal is still just to survive. Honestly, if... Because it's so hard what we do, whether you're an actor, a musician, a dancer, a magician, what, whatever it is in, in our industry, um, encompassing all the arts, I kind of look at it every year. Like if, I, if I'm like 50 and I go, oh my gosh, I'm 50 years old, and the only job I've ever had is what I've wanted to do, then to me that is success. Doesn't matter how much money I have in my bank, because most people don't even get that far. I remember a, a voice teacher of mine saying in theater school, he was like, if any of you make it past five years once you graduate and you're still in this industry then good for you but most of you won't (laughs) and it's so true I'll never forget that and I look at some of my past colleagues who a lot of them have just given up on the industry fully full stop so it's hard but yeah the longer you're in it and and just surviving to me is is that's kind of it doesn't seem like a very far goal to reach going oh I just want to make it to the next day or the next you know at the end of the year but to me that is such an accomplishment because it is so hard what we do yeah yep I have the same thing. Like I've been, I went to two schools and I think I've been out for 10 years or something, but like out of like 150 people, maybe that I studied with, maybe 20 are still in it, you know? So yeah, yeah, it is. It's hard. It's hard. It's complicated. Yeah. (laughs) Um, what is your personal goal for this year? I would say my personal goal is kind of the same thing is just to kind of survive out of this. Uh, not, and okay, (laughs) if we're going to relate it to the pandemic, it's just trying to like, I guess, trying to stay positive and and keep working don't let it i that's why like i don't agree with the new normal term and all this and 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 if anything i'm really excited once we're out of this pandemic because i'm still working on my act as if there's going to be an audience and we're going to be sat next to each other and this and that because i think especially in live performance and live theater that will be the, the longest to recover but at the end of the day i think it's going to thrive more so than ever before because I think we'll be so tired of looking at our screens and this two-dimensional relationship with people. We we really need to be in, in that kind of live personal environment. So I think live entertainment is 
hopefully, I think it's going to make a big comeback out of this when it does. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be a struggle, but we're used to that. So, right. So, yeah, I just want to be prepared for that day. Yeah. I mean, I would say your outdoor show, like that, I feel like the next year, at least over the the warmer months coming up, um, I feel like your outdoor show can. Yeah. There's going to be a year of a lot of outdoor activities. Outdoor activity, because <laughs> it's going to feel a little bit safer, this and that. No, I agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Because, like, I do lighting and I'm like, I, I worry about myself a little bit more just because there's not as many outdoor venues, you know. Outdoor at nighttime venues, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, like, the ones that are there, they already have a team of people. So it's like, what are the chances I'm going to get on that job? But anyway, <laughs> um, if money wasn't an issue, what would your life's goal be? If money wasn't an issue, my life goal would probably still be the same. Yeah, like, you know, if someone were to offer me billions of pounds or dollars and I would never have to work again for the rest of my life, I'd probably still, nothing, I don't, I like to say nothing would change. I would still be doing what I'm doing. I would just have better props and maybe a fancier costume. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you you wouldn't, like, put the Empire State Building on a turntable or something and, like, do this amazing... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, you know, money can afford you to do bigger things, you know, and better things, and I would definitely use it to my advantage, but nothing would really change. I'd still be working, doing what I do. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Awesome. Um, what financial advice would you give yourself back when you started, or would you give uh, a young magician that's just now starting out? Uh, yeah, I guess I would still be like, God, you idiot. Put some money aside. <laughs> That's what I tell my younger self, which which people already told me when I was younger, but I would just probably like really go, no, really, there's going to be a pandemic in 2020. <laughs> Get ready for it. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's the same I, I would say to to any young magician out there or anyone in the arts who's young and wants to start a career in this. But at the same time, I would say don't listen to anybody. Because if you do, that's when people start doubting themselves, going, oh, so-and-so said this. But I'm like, it's not about those people. It's not about what your what your parents think um, or, or what anyone thinks, really. And, and for me, I think the advice I gave myself as a kid is still the advice I'm giving myself now is just to, like, I'm literally just do what you want and give, give yourself. If, that's, if whatever it is you want to do, that's what you want to do, then do it. If you give yourself other options, you're going to do those other options, you know. It's like me going back to acting when, when my bank account was getting grim and it was January and cold and I couldn't street perform as much as I wanted to. I was very close to, you know, doing my old job, whether it's acting or whether it was like if I was an accountant. But I made the decision going, no, survive only is this because that's what I'll do. And, and that's proven that it, that it works because here I am still here surviving as a magician as hard or good as it can be. Yeah. On, on your website, your story about how you quit acting and became a magician, you say you, you gave yourself a bunch of tattoos, so that would further eliminate the possibility of being... I did. I did. <laughs> I was like, look at this. Now they can never hire me again. But mind you, I've done adverts where they've, they've make up this, and it's amazing, and it's like I never had a tattoo. But that was part of my challenge, was like, make myself uncastable as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, I think I think if like young magicians listen to you talking here, like you you give some solid advice, but I feel like what they'll probably pull away from it is like your confidence of just be you, do what you want to do, sort of sort of don't compromise. Yeah, and you got to raise the stakes as well, and that's and that's the thing. It's it's very easy to go get even a side job in a in a coffee shop, but that's taking away the time for you to work on your magic 
you know, and yourself and, and learn other things. So that's why this pandemic for me is kind of great. Cause I'm like, great. I got all these books I can read that I haven't had time or I got all these tricks I want to create or do you know what I mean? So it's like having this time is kind of a luxurious at the moment. Or it could backfire on us and all the magicians could go back to live performing and I'll do really bad routines because they haven't been able to perform for a whole year. That too. That too. <laughs> that is a worry as well. So, so like, yeah. Come see the amazing Billy kid. And, and like a thousand people show up and then they're like, ooh, she needs a little practice. Why is she only talking to a camera? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, wait, side question. Um, after this ends, which it's going to peter out slowly, so it's not like there's going to be one day where it's suddenly it's over. Yeah. Are you going to continue to do Happy Talk TV? You know, it's, I'll, I'll be honest, me and my co-host, Paul DeBeck, we have been struggling um, writing it as the weeks go on because it's really hard to find content every week that's happy. And again, we're not doing it for any kind of financial gain or anything like that. We're literally just doing it as a project because because of what the world situation was in. And, and we kind of made a decision in a way not to do any magic in it as well. Because oh. we didn't want to be like, if you notice, we don't do any tricks I at all. I do notice. We get our friends, we get our friends to. Right. So it's been more like a writing project, like a creative project. Uh, I think we'll probably what we'll do is we'll treat it like a season. So I think maybe the plan is to, to end on a happy number, like maybe 13 episodes. And then, and, then, and then give it a break and then leave it open and decide what we want to do with it. Um, if we want to do more later or or whatnot but the last few weeks you know he's called me going i have no ideas and i'm like don't worry i think i got something and then the last maybe the last episode i was like oh my gosh i've got nothing and then something just comes so it's been it's been an interesting project just just creatively just to work on something that's kind of not even related to what we do as a job but just to kind of keep the creative juices flowing so that's been fun but it's also been stressful at the same time <laughs> trying to pump out material and content yeah your shortest one was maybe like seven minutes or something and like it's not like you're just reporting on good news or happy news <laughs> um so like the john krasinski good news network like he just sits in a desk and like reads oh boring <laughs> i mean he, he takes like other people's stories and then he gathers people together which is kind of what we're doing as well we're trying to find this good news and 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 you know report on it but at the same time we're trying to make it entertaining and funny and and also a highlight you know our something amazing segment is to get some of our friends who are now out of work and just kind of feature them in kind of a variety type kind of show but yeah it's hard because we're relying on other people to send us stuff and that's always like oh come on guys people for talk shows you know and stuff they're writing content every night but they got a team of writers and researchers and in this situation just me and my friend so so yeah it's 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 not easy definitely not easy but anyway so i guess i just want to encourage you because i feel like it's like a nice thing to have out there oh thank you very much a, a, a way to like make it less work and still put it out yeah <laughs> and still put it out you guys are both likable people you just being you i don't think you have to like come up with as much content as you maybe think you do so my wife nicole she has questions from a non-artist why do a majority of artists have zero savings or retirement savings? I love that question. I love that question. It's like a mystery to the rest of the world. Uh, why do the majority of us have nothing? Have nothing. Well, I want to say probably the first problem, which isn't our fault, is we never get paid enough for what we're doing. We're not valued enough where I think we should be. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the first problem. And because of that, it's hard for us to save because, because again, we sacrifice so much. It's not a job where, you know, let's say if you're working at 
Starbucks or McDonald's, when you come home, you don't have to think about your customers for the next day. You don't have to think about how, how my apron's going to look. But for what we do, we come home and we're never stop, we never stop working because not that we're obsessed with it. It's just like, I'm always creating no matter what, because it's going to help me get more work down the line. It's not a job you leave when you close the office door. You're always working on it. You're always working on yourself, which is great, but also a downfall on that. So you're not getting paid enough, so you can't save enough, <laughs> for one thing. And it's because most of us are self-employed and it's gig to gig or contract to contract. You never know when your next job is going to be. So you end up spending the money that you did make on the last one. So it's this ever-recurring thing. And I guess that is one of the sacrifices that we do. We know we're going into this job or we know we're doing a job that's going to be like that. If we're lucky enough to get those big gigs, that's when we go, maybe we should save some of that. And and that's the lesson I've been learning over the last few years. But I think the main problem is, is we just don't get paid enough for what we do, unfortunately. So I think it starts there. It's not all our fault. We're not all idiots. <laughs> but some of us are. <laughs> Working in theater and magic might, is probably the same way. You're surrounded by really intelligent people all the t- time. They're not doctors or lawyers or accountants because that's not what they chose to do. I take for granted like all these smart people. And then I go talk to people who are like people in the real world with real jobs. And they say some of the like yeah. dumbest things. And you're like, <laughs> how is this? Like, I. <laughs> it's incredible, right? Yeah, you can put things into perspective a little bit. If people only knew the amount of work and the amount of study and you know what artists do, they might have a, a better appreciation for it, and you know we might get paid better for it. But but if you don't know, you don't know, right? Like like I can only imagine how much work it takes to become a doctor, and we know how important their job is, and we know they get paid a lot. But I also know I'd never want to do that job. <laughs> You know, or I don't have the skills to do it. But I guess in the end, it might just be education. And, you know, arts is always the last thing to be funded, usually, or the first thing to be cut um, in schools. So when you don't, when you can't value it, you don't appreciate it as much. Now, the question from Nicole, how will COVID-19 affect the future of magic? Uh, Good (laughs) question, Nicole. Um, (laughs) I mean, it depends on, it's a, but it's also a hard one to answer because we don't know what the end is with this with this virus right if i'm talking about right now it's affected it massively because now it's like magic and live performance doesn't even exist yeah because we can't be in human contact with each other yeah let's say we let's say it fin- let's say we find a vaccine and everything can go back to normal how will it affect magic i think in the future there'll be a lot for some reason be a lot more magic teachers out there because everyone's on to zoom all of a sudden becoming a teacher <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, there might be a lot more magicians out there, but there might be a lot more bad magicians out there because they've never performed for real people. Yeah. Live performance will will be stronger than ever because we're going to be so desperate for it because we've been so deprived of it in the long run. This is kind of what I'm hoping. So we shall see. Yeah. Okay. So do you do a Zoom magic show? I've seen a lot of that out there. I, I do not. I refuse to do it. It seems really desperate to me. And I know we're in desperate times. Uh, I did one thing for a, a theater company in Pittsburgh called Liberty Magic, who I worked for last year. And we did an online, just to think for the subscribers, me and another magician, half an hour. It was an interview and I did a couple of tricks. To be honest, I hated doing magic in this format. It just doesn't work. I'm not used to performing with my elbows to glued to my ribs. So, you know, you could see everything in the frame. It just really doesn't work. And live performance is there for a reason. I did watch a magic show as an audience member on Zoom. I was curious what it felt like to be on, on the other side. And it didn't work. And I could... It's a whole other podcast. I could go on a whole other rant about why it doesn't work. So watching another show as an audience member just reconfirmed why I don't want to be a Zoom magician. 
I'd rather work on on my stuff for when we, when we are back to normal, whenever that is. Yeah. Okay, so I've watched some, I don't know, Zoom, I've watched videos, not necessarily Zooms. Part of the beauty of magic is that, like, you're being fooled, like, like it's magic. <laughs> and on Zoom, I'm like, well, clearly everything is is already thought out. Like, it's clearly not magic, because it's, it's like you could, I guess if it's on Zoom, it's live, but it's like, it's through a screen, so I can't actually see you. There could be a string that I can't see, like... Exactly. Or another person in the room. Yeah. Um, exactly. You might as well just watch a YouTube video or any Instagram video from the last 10 years. Right. Right. It's so uh, magic really doesn't work on Zoom. Yeah. Is now a good time for people to study magic? Yes. I would say now is the best time to study magic because becoming a magician is so freaking lonely because you literally have to be at home for hours practicing things for hours and hours and days on end. So it's perfect. It's the perfect time to get your skills up to speed. So, yes, I highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, like New York or big cities like Bath-ish <laughs> um, are artistic hubs. But with what's going on right now, should magicians like move to the big cities or should they stay away and wait or something? If you can afford to move to a big city during these times, then yes. Uh, because bigger cities, they just have, there's just more opportunities all around. There's more people you can meet, therefore more connections, um, more venues, more places to practice, more places to perform, as opposed to living, you know, out in the stick somewhere. So you need that exposure. You need to be, yeah, around that. I would definitely say if you can, bigger cities are definitely, it's definitely going to be an advantage. Yep. Okay. Final two questions. What separates those that have a career in magic versus those that stop or never get started? I think maybe part of it is is just like the pure ambition and and maybe and maybe also support as well. Like I said, if you have a support team that's going to just keep telling you do something else, do something more financially stable, this this and that, you will listen to that. You will be influenced by that whether you want to or not. If your ambition's stronger than that, and you know you're going to do it no matter what, then I think you will end up doing it. I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience. I knew when I had to become a magician, and I didn't know how to become a magician. There's no textbook on if Here's the A to Z, as you guys say, the A to Z, as to how to become a magician. There's no manual on that. So it's more like, for myself, I was like, give myself no other choices, and then I'll have to, I'll have to do it. I'll have no choice but to do it. Therefore, you know, out of just pure survival instincts, you will have to do it because you need to eat and you need to live. So you have to get good quicker than you think, which is why I started on the street, because I was like, no one's booking me on the street. I can be as bad as a performer or magician on the street, but the, it'll make me become good quicker because I need to eat and survive. So I will, my magic will become better. My performances will become better. People give me their money. <laughs> Essentially, it's, it's like a domino effect in a way. So I think that's what separates is, yeah, it might just be just pure ambition, but, but you need the confidence to do that as well. I hate when people give up because I know it's possible because I've done it. Yeah. And I'm not very smart. So... <laughs> 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 Not true. Um, side side question for me. Uh, what type of magic do you like to perform the best? Like, do you like to be on the street or in a theater or on a film set? Like, what's your preference? I I love them all for different reasons. I like the street because it's really raw and pure, and anything can happen. And you can be gritty, and I could you could fail miserably on it, and it doesn't matter. 
Uh, I love working in the theater because I've got access to, you know, designers, lighting designers, um, a team of people. And there's different things I can do in a theater that I can't do in the street. And my magic will change depending on the venue. And the same thing with film and television. I love doing magic on film and television because I get to work with the crew. It takes me back to like working as an actor because a magician is such a lonely job. But when you're working, you know, on set, you've got a crew of people and we all have the same goal at the end of the day. And that's really nice. So and you can do different types of magic because of, of the setting, because it's on film and TV. So, yeah, I can do more sneaky things that I couldn't do live in performance in a theater. Um, so, yeah, it all has its pros and cons. So I can't really choose between one or the other. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Final question. Where can people find out more about you? Oh gosh. Well, if they're on the Instagram, they can find me at Billy kid show. That's double L and double D not to be confused. Uh, and, and Facebook. Yeah. Billy kid magician. I'm very Googleable. Googleable. I can't say that word. Google. You can find me on Google. I got a website, billykidshow.com that needs some major updating. I'm working still with a really outdated website. So it's still working for me. Yeah, so you can find me on all the on all the platforms, really. Amazing. Well, Billy Kidd, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for having me. That was our interview with Billy Kidd. My takeaways were, don't be afraid to change course. Be confident. Magicians have to be, but everyone needs to be. From as early as possible in your career, always set aside something for your future. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Anne Nigrin Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.